This is People Every Day. Coming up... There's a long history of Asian women in particular being objectified. In the wake of the Atlanta shootings, a deeper look at the devastating surge of anti-Asian hate crimes in America. Plus, Sharon Osbourne in hot water. The royal feud continues. And Kanye West's billionaire status. It's March 18th. Hi, guys. It's Thursday, and you are listening to People Every Day, presented by Macy's. It's me, your host, Janine Rubenstein. We are in the wake of the horrific news of the shootings that took place at multiple spas in the Atlanta area this week and left eight people dead, six of whom were Asian women. Later in the show, I'm joined by Marita Ercubanez of Asian Americans Advancing Justice, who will take us through how this terrible event is impacting the AAPI community and what everyone can do to help. Uh, But first, joining me now is People.com Managing Editor Charlotte Triggs to help break down everything from talk show drama to the Windsors to Yeezys. (laughs) She does it all. Talker (laughs) of many talents. Right, Charlotte? Well, hopefully. I I hope I can do you proud, (laughs) Janine. Always do. Always do. So let's start off with, uh, you know, what we're hearing about the talk right now, speaking of talking, um, before we get into some of these extremely nasty accusations that have been bubbling up, um, why don't you walk us through how we got here in terms of Sharon Osborne? She is in the hot seat. Um, and a lot of people say for good reason, she's, she's come under fire, um, because of comments she made in regards to the, the huge Harry and Megan interview and just things that she said about Megan and her support, of course, uh, of Pierce Morgan. So set this up for me. How did we get here? Okay. It's kind of a long story, right? I mean, there's been just, you know, cascading fallout from this Megan and Harry interview with Oprah. Yeah. Um, first stop, of course, you guys talked about it on the show. Um, Pierce Morgan is no longer the host of Good Morning Britain because he questioned the veracity of Megan's claims in the interview when she said that she felt suicidal. So then cut to the talk, getting into the Megan and Harry um, interview. And Sharon Osborne came on to defend her friend Pierce. Now, obviously they're friends and that's her absolute right to defend her friend. She kind of dug her own hole though, because she um, went after her co-host, Cheryl Underwood. I will ask you again, Cheryl. Yes. I've been asking you during the break. Yes. I'm asking you again. And don't try and cry because if anyone should be crying, it should be me. This is the situation. Yes. You tell me where you have heard him say, educate me. Tell me when you have heard him say racist things. Educate me. Tell me. So you just hear there how heated it got on that show. But it has snowballed even since there, right? It's snowballed. I mean, this is all her own making, okay? Because she keeps talking, all right? First, she posted an apology. It seemed like potentially she meant it, right? Like she was reflecting on the moment. She said that she had, you know, flown off the handle in the heat of the moment, but she, she, you know, insisted that um, she reflected on it and felt badly that she'd hurt people of color. Um, Then Holly Robinson, Pete, a former co-host, came forward and said that um, she had been disparaged in racially, you know, charged terms by Sharon, that Sharon had called her, quote, ghetto, um, which was correct. Yes. Which is then corroborated by former co-host Leah Remini, who said that Sharon had 
also called her ghetto and that the two of them had been kind of ousted at the behest of Sharon. Mm. So, you know, and then from there, there's reporting quote, you know, um, source reporting that surfaced with a highly influential, um, entertainment reporter, Yasha Ali, who, um, indicated that Sharon had made disparaging comments about lots of her co-stars, including Julie Chen and, um, Sarah Gilbert. And there it's, you know, to, hideous to repeat, but like multiple slurs pertaining to people's race or sexual orientation. Um, and from there, Sharon went and put together, she, she put out an additional, it's not exactly an apology. She put out a denial, basically, um, kind of insisting that this is all the the work of a disgruntled former co-host. We believe that probably pertains to Leah because Leah went on the record and then subsequently gave an extra interview talking about this and further denying it. In that interview, she actually repeated some of this, one of the slurs that she had made against Julie Chen. And that, you know, many of us who are yeah in the industry know that PR 101 is not to not, say it not again. Not to repeat. Like So let's listen to a little bit of that interview. Not that, but but let's listen to what she had to had to say for herself on Extra. I got too personal with Cheryl. I should never have said about her tears. I should never have dismissed her feelings on national TV, ever. And so, so is anyone coming to her defense? Like what, and also what is CBS's plan here? Because we know the show is on hiatus dealing with this and there's other co-hosts. Yeah. The current co-hosts have gone, have like largely uh, kept a respectful silence on Mm -hmm. this while the network tries to figure out what to do. It's very clear that the hiatus um, is because they don't really know what to do. For sure. For sure. So, okay. We will see how this all pans out. Um, But let's shift now to... Prince William, kind of related. Um, <laughs> yes, it's all, it's all, it's all like, I mean, this interview in is boat. just the interview that keeps on blowing up in a way. But um, we, we have new information. And if, if you've seen uh, this week's issue of People, we are bringing a lot more perspective to what's been going on behind the scenes, the fallout from the Oprah interview within the family. So um, so let's talk about uh, Prince William and, and Prince Harry and what we know now about their relationship and what's happened since. So they have actually spoken since the mm-hmm. interview aired. Um, but it wasn't great, Gail right? King, we, yeah, we talked about right, it. It wasn't great. Yeah. Gail King revealed to mm-hmm. us, revealed to the world that she had checked in with Meghan and Harry and that they had told her that they'd um, spoken, well, that Harry had spoken to both Charles and William and that it was, quote, not productive. So that already is a terrible sign. It's also very much not in keeping with the royal traditions that um, that sort of information is readily available at the drop of a hat to a major American talk show host. But um, yeah, so then what, I mean, the other thing we've learned from, you know, our source reporting in this new issue is that um, William is quite mad about all of this. And what he, he is very protective of his wife and the idea that her name has been kind of dragged through the mud and that she has been cast in a negative light has angered him beyond anything else because the royal tradition of course is to not speak about such things and to never show emotion the fact that this whole inst- incident um as you you may have noticed the most intriguing detail of all was that this incident had to do with the bridesmaid dresses and whether princess charlotte was going to wear tights under her dress see which that's mom, it that's the key yes. like so the argument was over little baby tights yes little little girl tights and kate you know believing that they should stick to royal protocol wanted her daughter to wear tights and megan thought that it was warm weather it was a hot day and that it wasn't 
you know, what she wanted as a bride and that the other little bridesmaids, she preferred them not to wear tights. And she thought she was bride and it's her call. Mm -hmm. And they got into a fight over this. This is something so deeply relatable to anybody who's ever participated in a wedding. I am just saying like, this is the best episode of Bridezilla. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you've always watched that where you see the bride and it's like, come on, you guys, you're only, you're in this wedding bubble and everything is so important right now, but this doesn't really matter guys (laughs) yeah that detail i'm sure if they could go back like it's so not necessary to have fought and over that type of situation over tights or whatever but but i i do want to ask you who should have the say mom or bride if it comes to like say say flower girl situation who has the say i mean so it's like when i learned the detail that it was about that i did think that the the mother should Mm. have the say in what their young child especially somebody who's a public figure and who's gonna be photographed that much would do because it's like you know they're little kids they if if she wants to like you know be bouncing around doing a cartwheel or not that she would do a cartwheel but you know picking (laughs) up her dress and stuff like that like you're her mother and you know that she's in line to the throne, I think you would want to choose the most prudent option. And that's not a bad thing to do. It's not really worth a huge fight over. Right. All right. And the last thing we're going to get into, Charlotte, is uh, Mr. Kanye West, who is not only a billionaire, he has been valued at $6.6 billion thanks to his Yeezy company. Uh, And it makes him, what I've read, the richest black man in American history. Wild, right? He somehow tapped into with this, um, that Yeezy line, which is, you know, backed by Gap. Like it is hugely, I mean, it's, I guess they must be selling a lot of sneakers. I know. I mean, well, well, you have, you have Adidas, you know, and then you have Gap and they're coming together. They're all like pouring their money into this brand that is, you know, I mean, my brother-in-law's obsessed. He's like goes and gets every single new one. Um, They're cool, but I had no idea they were that big of a juggernaut. And this is a, this is a bit of a 180 from what we heard about his finances, at least what he purported were his troubled finances years ago, right? Well, you know, it's interesting because it's like people um, sometimes uh, explore bankruptcies as it's it's like a business option, honestly. You know what I mean? It's like in order to like close out one portion of the business. I mean, he, he was famous for his spending in many facets mm-hmm, of things. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, like if you heard the the performance quality, you recall the crazy fashion shows yeah. where people used to go places, the crazy fashion shows that he would stage, um, his presidential campaign, they dropped more than $13 million on that. Wow. I guess he had more than enough to spend on it. But Kanye has a history of spending. I mean, down to the the famous Christmas party that they had yeah. where he, you know, it was, I think, a $1.1 million Christmas party. And that's after Kim made him scale it way down. Charlotte, thank you, thank you, thank you for talking to me. Thank you so much. Next up, breaking down how the Atlanta shootings relate to the uptick in anti-Asian hate crimes in America. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, 
their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Everyone, the nation is still reeling from the devastating news that eight people lost their lives on Tuesday at the hands of a gunman, six of those people being Asian women, a fact that is further highlighting the current crisis that is the rise in anti-Asian attacks, assaults, and hate crimes, just to name it. My guest today is Marita Etcubanez, a woman who has made it her mission to fight for the rights, liberties, and safety of the AAPI, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders community. She's the Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives for AAJC, Asian Americans Advancing Justice. And she's here with me now. Hi, Marita. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, thank you for having me. No problem. And and I just want to say that um, I know something that... I really appreciated when I felt like, you know, the way I looked, the way, you know, who I was was under attack um, just on a grand scale. I, I so appreciated people just saying, I feel for you in this moment. And I do. And I feel for your community. Um, and I just really, really want to get this message out there as much as we can that this has to stop. Um, so I just needed to preface all of this with that. Um, so uh, b- before we touch on the specifics, I'm hoping you can share your reaction. We had seen this horrific snowball of events that have been growing, um, but were you surprised at all by this 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 news? Sadly, no. You know, you, you alluded to this earlier, but I'll, I'll say it again, right? Our Asian American communities have already been suffering through the COVID-19 pandemic both from concerns about the coronavirus and all that comes with that, compounded by these racist attacks from people who are wrongly blaming Asian Americans for COVID-19. And uh, discrimination against our communities isn't new, right? Let me just name that first, but it has intensified during the pandemic. And then starting at the beginning of this year, we were hearing about these violent attacks on our Asian elders, some of our most vulnerable. And who isn't terrified when you see parents and grandparents being attacked in that way? We have been sounding the alarm about the hate and the discrimination that our communities have been facing. Um, And then Tuesday night, right, this horrific shooting where we know that six Asian women were murdered. Our community was already in pain and 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 people are scared and and this is just this is devastating. It's horrific and and it it brings us back to a point like you said this isn't new. Specifically let, let let's dig into um what happened. So and and how it's been handled. At a news conference, um Captain Jay Baker, a spokesman for the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office said that Robert Aaron Long, the the attacker, has been charged with eight counts of murder. That he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. And that Tuesday was a really bad day for him. And and, and this is what he did. I, I just want to know, what is your take on how law enforcement is handling this? And 
and is, is there hope that th- they will get it together? It's hard to think of a worse response, isn't it? Um, in my work advocating with and for the Asian American community, a lot of times we talk about invisibility, right? Our community is still largely unseen. Our needs go unmet. Um, and then to have you know, one of the first responses to this heinous crime seemed to excuse the murders and not address that it was, I think, very clearly motivated by both racism and sexism, a combination of the two. I mean, that's that's erasing our identities. So do I have hope that law enforcement will respond in the right way? I will reserve judgment on that. Let, let's hope they turn it around. But I think also circling back, we have been trying to lift up the great work that is happening on the ground in Atlanta. Um, community leaders there have mobilized very quickly. They have issued their own statements. They have made it clear you know, what they are calling for. The statements that I have seen, including the ones that are led by our affiliate there, Asian Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta, have made it very clear that they want solutions that will protect community safety and not and that do not involve increased law enforcement prosecution or um, incarceration. And and you mentioned something there that I think um, you know should be should be fleshed out a little bit. Like there, of course, is the racist undertones that people are picking up on in this attack, um, and I. I think that's even diminishing it to call it undertones, but um, also the sexism. Um, so so for people who don't understand, like, how does this play into um, that issue within uh, the Asian American community, yes. specifically surrounding Asian American women? There's a long history of Asian women in particular um, being objectified, right? Um I feel like in a lot of ways, that's how many people see us or, um, yeah, it's not going to, I'm not going to word this right. Let me fall back on, I feel like one of our partner organizations, the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum has done a good job about talking about the intersection of um, race and gender, about how over the course of the past year plus, um, most of the individual reports of hate crimes and hate incidents that are reported by the Asian American community have been reported by Asian women. Um, I feel, yeah, it's just, we, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm struggling here. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's, you know, there, like you said, there, there has been historic objectification and, and hypersexualization that are placed specifically on Asian American women and to have, even in this, you know, alleged confession, him saying it had to do with his sex addiction um, is just bringing all of that into play again as well. Um, And it's really sad on so many levels to see something like that come to a head in in this way. Um, So so let's talk about your organization, Asian Americans Advancing Justice. Um, It's helping lead the charge against what has been, you know, a troubling rise in hate crimes against Asian Americans. So walk us through some of your data, because I think a lot of folks might still not understand how big of a problem this is. We created our website, standagainsthatred.org, several years ago to capture 
individual reports of harassment and discrimination that our community was facing um, actually coming out of the 2016 election cycle, right? Because that's when many communities of color experienced a spike in hate. So we have been doing this work for a while, but certainly the largest number of reports, we started getting reports related to COVID-19 in February of last year. And the overwhelming number of reports we've received since have involved harassment and discrimination related to COVID-19. Um, people being told to, you know, if they cause the virus, um, take your virus back to China, like racial slurs, harassment. We are not the only organization doing this, right? There are other organizations that are also encouraging community members to report so we can better understand the scope of the problem because we know hate crimes are chronically underreported to law enforcement. And we know even the numbers that we are getting don't reflect the true scope of the problem. But I think combined across the other Asian American organizations that we are working with over the past year, we have received a com together more than 4,000 individual reports um, of hate crimes and hate incidents. These are not all involving crimes necessarily, right? But, you know, someone facing verbal abuse on the street, that still hurts too. For sure, especially the reports that I've seen about attacks on children, uh, verbal, physical attacks on, on children. Um, so thank you for the work that you're doing in that space to just try and stamp that out. How, this is my last question, how can, how can we all support? Again, I want to point to the great work that's happening on the ground. Um, the folks in Atlanta um, have organized a sign-on letter that they invite individuals and organizations to sign on to. They have established a community response fund, and they're building a community resource list. I don't know that that's readily shareable online yet, but I'll send you what I have. Um, so I definitely look to them to lead to meet the immediate needs of the local community, right? Um, and we have, you know, I would say that with our civil rights partners, we stand in solidarity with one another. And I, I take heart from their expressions of solidarity in this moment. I think that has been, and I think that has been really good to see. We are, of course, advocating for broader systemic solutions. That's, that's gonna take time, right? To pass laws, policies, address white supremacy and systemic racism. But on an everyday level, because I know that's what you're asking, um, my organization has partnered with a group called Hollaback to provide free online bystander intervention trainings. Um, we've been doing this over the past year. And um, yeah, so in, we adapted Hollaback's curriculum where we inserted discussion of Asian American history, the context of the current moment. So it is addressing anti-Asian and xenophobic harassment. And in the training, we talk about what are the different things that prevent people from acting when they see or experience harassment, right? To sort of think through how you might overcome that for yourself, but always recognize that you need to, you know, trust your gut and prioritize your own safety. And then we walk people through Hollaback's five Ds of bystander intervention. It's a range of interventions that anyone can use. The simplest is distract. You literally distract the harasser's attention, right? To just try to ramp down the situation to different forms of direct intervention. And we've been offering these trainings, like I said, online, free of charge over the past year. And demand right now is, is higher than ever. So we're working wow. to add more dates to our training. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So I feel like that is something that I would encourage people to take advantage of because I do think it can be very helpful. 
Wow. It's, it's almost like that, that slogan that we had for years, see something, say something, but you're giving people the tools with which to do that. So that's so awesome. Marita, thank you so much for your time and for your work. Thank you. That was Marita Etcubanez from Asian Americans Advancing Justice. For more of our coverage on anti-Asian hate crimes and how to help, head over to people.com. Now, before you go, something to make you smile. We are gearing up for the first day of the NCAA's March Madness College Basketball Tournament. Don't forget to get your brackets in tomorrow. And at one of the games, there is going to be a proud fan and good luck charm in attendance, Sister Jean. She is 101 years old, and she's a devoted chaplain at Loyola University and is the men's basketball team's biggest cheerleader. She recently received both doses of her COVID-19 vaccination, and her prayers were answered on Tuesday. She received word that she'd been approved by the school and the NCAA to attend the game. Listen here. Hi, David. This is Sister Jean. Yes, I have had my vaccine injections and I'm doing well. She can't wait to be there as she has been for years, sitting pretty for the opening round against Georgia Tech. Three cheers for Sister Jean. Talk to you guys tomorrow.